It's episode 26 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinski, and with me are J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. And uh, just a reminder that we have launched our Patreon for uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate. So if you want to, you can check that out at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate, right? That's what you set up. Yeah, that's what I set up. I'm making sure that I'm getting all this right. So, and uh, the exciting thing about that is if you join our ball and glove level of support, uh, you'll receive our minor league extra podcast. So uh, JP, you excited about that? You and Ryan get some extra work to do. Absolutely. No, it's, it's, it is extra work to do. Um, if you want to call it that, but it's also an opportunity to talk a little bit more about the the minor league system in an in-depth way that, we don't necessarily have time for on the podcast here, but also give everybody an opportunity to ask questions about maybe some minor league prospects that aren't in the top 10 that maybe we don't have a chance to talk about as often as we would like. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about sleepers for the upcoming year, what we what we like to look for in terms of like Corey Ray. I'm sure a question like that will come up as well. So it'll be a great opportunity for us to, to start talking about some names to know. And as the games start coming uh, in April, then we'll have that as a great opportunity once a month to really break down who were the overperformers, who are some people that you should know, who are some people that are maybe uh, stepping up from the years past, and it'll give us a great opportunity to just put that in one place. And if you are a member at that $5 or more a month level, make sure to send in questions to us. You can do that right through the Patreon uh, website. You can send Absolutely. it straight through that or the app if you have that. I use the app. Yeah. So I would say if you send in if you send in the questions, we promise to answer or at least promise to do our best to answer. It might not be a satisfactory answer, but we'll do our best. Yeah. Anybody at that level will definitely get you at least uh, one question on per month. So uh, you can rate and review Milwaukee's Tailgate on iTunes. It helps fans find the podcast. So just take a minute, leave five stars and write something nice about us. And we want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Uh, email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Or follow our Facebook page, and you can follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that on the Milwaukee Tailgate Twitter bio. Uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre-3 and MixPre-6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so uh, we had another uh, move this week. The Brewers went out and signed reliever Matt Elbers. And I know that wasn't as exciting as people hoped, but, you know, it it is another transaction I guess we can talk about. So, Ryan, what was your feeling when they went out and got uh, Matt Elbers this week? Well, first off, I was kind of happy just because I've been following Matt Elbers more than most just sort of average relievers over the past few years because I'm a listener to the uh, Effectively Wild podcast, and he's been sort of a, a hero on there. So um, it's interesting. He is – so they signed him to a two-year, $5 million deal. And the main thing that – you know that sort of locks in the idea that he is going to be here and taking up a roster space. And that's probably the biggest factor here. I know JP wants to talk more about that, so I'm not going to step too much on that. Um, But he had a very good year last year. He posted a 162 ERA, a whip, you know, 0.085, a reasonable FIP. He was well below his his FIP. He was a pretty decent pitcher overall, but overperformed compared to what he had done in the past by a significant amount, especially compared to 2016 when he was pretty bad. Um, 
So it's hard to see exactly where he fits in in terms of when he'll pitch in the game. I would guess we're probably going to see him deployed in leverage situations, but fairly early. Uh, well, don't, early don't all situations have leverage? Yeah. Uh, high leverage, Steve. High leverage. Okay. So, um, but I'm not sure if this ends up being worth it. So I know JP has thoughts about the, the roster. Well, again, it's two and a half million dollars a year. Well, but for two years. So you're talking about a two-year commitment to a guy who's, he'll be 35 next year and 36 in the second year. And his track record is at best up and down. And we know by that age, you know, you should be getting ready to, you know, retire and live in a, an old folks home, right? Well, it really, yes. God. I can yes. feel it in my bones. So Relievers, I mean, relievers sometimes pitch effectively into their 40s. Who knows? But whatever. Anyway, JP, you go. <laughs> I, I think it's it's a move that I actually thought the Brewers might have been interested in a little bit earlier in the offseason, um, just trying to, to determine what kind of pitcher they need. And I mean, obviously, he had a he had a six three one ERA in 2016 with the White Sox, but dramatically improved it in 2017 2015 he actually had a one two one ERA over uh, 30 appearances. So he's kind of been up and down depending on on the year. And as we've seen with Swarzak, we've seen with Juan Nicasio, we've seen with tons of people. Uh, and, you know, I know that Steve, this, like he has this embroidered <laughs> on a pillow that relievers are volatile, are, are volatile assets. Right. So that's not what it says on the pillow. That's, that's, no, that's a lot. That's, that's a lot a, more kind than I would ever get embroidered. Yeah, that's <laughs> much less profane. But, but I think the things that the brewers like about the performance last year was the fact that his strikeout rate, actually jumped all the way to over a strikeout per inning last year after his career average has been about six and a half per nine. And the fact that he started to strike out so many guys is really, is really encouraging. But I like to think about this a little bit more in terms of what type of pitcher is he? Because obviously he's a guy who could strike some people out last year, but his swinging strike rate didn't actually increase by a whole lot, but his repertoire changed a little bit. He's more of a, a kind of a sinker slider guy, uh, 51% uh, ground ball rate last year. And if you think a little bit more about what type of pitcher that is, it's a lot like the, the role that uh, Jared Hughes had last year, Jared. Hughes, and so Matt Albers much better against righties than he is lefties in terms of his peripherals in terms of his ability to strike guys out, in terms of throwing strikes. So in general, I don't think that the Brewers will hesitate to put him in high-leverage situations predominantly against righties. I don't necessarily know if they see the eighth inning kind of shaping up as either Hayter or maybe Albers or or uh, or Jacob Barnes, depending on you know what situation it is in terms of the lineup coming up, whether it's going to be predominantly righties, predominantly lefties. But I think it's a situation in which if you're thinking about what kind of role he's going to fill, I think you'll see it a lot like Jared Hughes was used last year. And well, yeah. I mean, and the roster issue is now you're talking about having a real high number of relievers who are locked into roles. You've got, well, we were talking about, and they basically have like one spot in the bullpen that, yeah. I mean, if you look at guys who are on guaranteed reliever contracts at this point and also add in people like Hader and, who's been confirmed to be in the bullpen now and Corey Knable, who's not going anywhere. You're not, he's not an up and down guy. You're not doing that. So you start taking those guys and you add in Boone Logan, you add in um, 
Oh, guaranteed contracts. Yeah, it would be those guys, Boone Logan. Barnes is probably not much of an up-and-down guy at this point. And Oliver Drake. And we'll see what they decide to end up doing with that. You don't have a lot of flexibility now to be able to send guys up and down, which is basically what the Brewers and most MLB teams are doing at this point, which is effectively running almost like 10-man bullpens and bringing guys up and down from, from AAA uh, periodically when they need to reshuffle sort of the look of the bullpen. Well, I think right now, if you look at who is likely to break camp with the bullpen, you would say Corey Knebel, Josh Hader, uh, you'd say Jacob Barnes, obviously Boone Logan, like you said, Matt Albers, Jeremy Jeffress is somebody that is probably a good bet to be able to be in there. Um, and Jeffress would, also can't go up and down at this point. Absolutely. I, and I would yeah. say that's, I would say that Suter is probably the leading candidate right now for, for long kind of swingman role. Maybe you want to say Gallardo, but I think that Suter gives a little bit more flexibility in terms of his ability to show that he can, he can pitch out of the bullpen and, and be an effective swing guy for kind of, three, four innings. Um, Gallardo, I'm not necessarily has shown that he can be effective for three or four innings at this point. So, <laughs> but I bet in the spring right now, there could be a situation in which they're fighting for that role. But again, that's already seven, that's seven guys, right? If you, if you consider Suter and Gallardo is fighting for one role. So at most, if you want to say that they're going to carry 13 pitchers, that would leave one other spot. And right now you would say Oliver Drake probably has the the lead in there. Uh, I would say that Taylor Williams probably has an okay shot of at least competing for a bullpen role. If I not, think we'll see him at some point. Well, I would. Yes, I, he would. He could also be one of those guys that you, as you said, can get kind of. I don't know, shuffled up and down between AAA Colorado Springs and, and the big leagues. I don't necessarily know if you want to put Williams there just because of the altitude issues. And he should be a high level, high leverage reliever if things kind of go right. But I don't. I, I thought prior to Albers, and I know that I mentioned it last week, that I thought it could have been a situation in which the Brewers could have leveraged Domingo Santana for a high leverage reliever. I don't necessarily know how much space there is for that right now. Um, it wouldn't seem like much. It wouldn't seem like much, but then I also then come down on the fact that I don't think the bullpen is bad, but I also don't think it's stellar. I think it's you've got a lot of situations in which you can dream on a guy, if you want to think that that Boone Logan can be the guy that he's, he's shown in flashes, maybe Jacob Barnes needs to take a step forward in terms of his command. Josh Hader obviously is, is good, but Albers, you're you're relying on him not devolving into 2016 form. He's not going to strand 92% of the runners like he was last year. Right. Um, Jeffress, obviously he's been up and down the last two years. It's it's a lot of guys that you can dream on, but it's a really tall task to be able to have all those stars aligned where they all start to pitch well together. So at most, I think right now you can say that they have a chance to have a solid bullpen, a decent bullpen, and then you can dream on it being more, but you can also see a direction in which it actually has significant trouble. Um, so in that regard, I don't know if we're going to kind of go with it. Maybe this is a segue into the next point, but... I think if the bullpen isn't stellar, they've got to add to the starting rotation because I don't think the pitching staff and as a whole right now is anything. Uh, I think they're fine. I do not think that maybe you would consider it playoff uh, worthy if that's like a category you would say. I'm not that excited about the, the pitching staff overall. Yeah, and what you mentioned was uh, Tom Hardercourt article in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel uh, this weekend. Uh, he quotes David Stern as saying, 
Uh, we continue to have discussions on a variety of fronts, but at this point, I anticipate going into spring training with our current group of pitchers. So, you know, again, no big name signings coming down. I'm not like he'd announce that ahead of time. He wouldn't say, <laughs> right. hey, we, we signed a guy. We can't tell you yet. <laughs> but We're you can really you, super close on a guy. But you can print that we, we have it coming or something like that. Yeah, yeah that's not going to happen. Right. But well, it's also but like even if you go down in the exact same article, Stern says, if the right opportunity presents itself, we are open to ask. Uh, we are open to acting. But we have a high level of confidence in our current group, so it needs to be the right opportunity. That's David like, Stern speak for we're not motivated to make this move, which was Doug Melvin's line that he always used. We're not motivated. Just, yeah, it's just all it's it's leverage, right? I mean, they're they are talking to teams right now about trying to trade for starting pitching. Uh, we've seen a lot of reports that they're still in conversation with uh, you, Darvish. Um, I don't necessarily know how accurate that is, but. Uh, they have been. I don't know if they still are. Uh, and then there's been talk about uh, Jake Arietta as well. And it also reads as an opportunity for there been. I know Ken Rosenthal for sure has said something, but I think that uh, that John Heyman also has in the last probably three or four days. Uh, they've had something about the Brewers pushing really hard on you, Darvish. And this could be David Stern saying, stop using us for leverage. Yeah, that was Jonathan Judge's in, point, right? Right. Uh, it could have been. I don't know. No, he um, he mentioned it to me when I said something I, on Twitter. About I would that. imagine Jonathan Judge is way smarter than me. So if if he said that, then I'm I'm happy to jump on board with it. Um, but it seems like if if they are engaged in in conversations to be able to trade for a starter, David Stearns has every motivation to come out publicly and to say we're not that we don't have to do this, right? You. It's not going to be a situation in which they make a panic move on something that they don't value just because they feel like they have to. And so whether it's about free agency market and saying, you know, don't use us as leverage if we're not actually in the conversation and on the trade market, it also could be a situation in which they said we don't need to do this. So unless this unless you actually take our asking price seriously in terms of this trade, we're walking. And I don't I personally don't think that David Stearns has any trouble walking if the prices don't come down to where he wants to be. I mean, is some of this a matter of, uh, you know, Domingo Santana looks like the guy who they're going to have to deal at some point and they're they're getting low ball offers because other teams are looking at him and saying, you need to get rid of Domingo Santana. We'll give you a very, you know, marginal starter for him. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that if you're another GM, put yourself in the the shoes of another GM who might have been looking at a Domingo Santana or a Keon Broxton. And as soon as you see the Brewers have just, you know, gone and added to their outfield surplus, and now they've, they're they sitting there with six big league outfielders, yeah, I'm not upping my offer. I might even be less inclined to stick with the previous offer that I made at that point because you're just perceiving that the Brewers have this surplus, and why would you then overpay, at least for a time? I would anticipate, and I, I hope, and I think that this is probably what's going on, is that teams are going to see, and Stearns is kind of pulling back on this and saying, well, we're content with where we're at, and we don't need to do anything. So if you want to make a deal with us, you're going to need to bring a strong offer. You have to do something good that we're actually going to like. And that's, right, that's instantly it, what this looked like to me. Yeah, but this is also a really difficult situation because if you think about this being on the other foot and you are the Milwaukee Brewers and you need a corner outfielder, there would be a very strong argument right now that if the question is, do you go 
five years, $120 million for JD Martinez? Or do you trade something that's actually, that actually has value for Domingo Santana? And I could see a very easy argument to say, I would much rather spend money on JD Martinez than I would like to be able to spend a young pitching, a, a young starter, whether it's prospects, it doesn't, you know, I don't know if, if we would get into specifics, but there's an argument if you've got the if you've got payroll space, JD Martinez is better than Domingo Santana, and that works as long as JD Martinez is on the market. As soon as JD Martinez comes off the market, then right. then that leverage goes away, and whoever was still looking for potentially that guy has Absolutely. to go. Well, now we we our options have become more limited. If we want to get that kind of impact, we have to. We're going to have to pay up on this. Absolutely. And it goes the exact opposite way for the Brewers as well. If the pitching market's not moving, the Brewers don't necessarily know if Arietta or Darvish is going to be available or until those options go away, they don't have to go to the trade market. And so it's a situation in which right now, as long as the market doesn't move, and this is ultimately what Stearns is talking about, right? He's talking about before going into camp, which is like 10 days from now, uh, he doesn't see an addition and that's because the market's not moving. And so until the market starts moving, whether it's free agency or whether it's trades, nobody has to do anything. And it's not just the brewers. Everybody has options and everybody is waiting to see who blinks first. Yeah, it is. It's crazy how this just, I thought that the the market was finally going to get moving after the brewers. Yeah. All, this, did the, all the celebration of what you, the brewers making trades and then, you know, making the trade for Yelich and then signing Kane and it did not dislodge anything. It was, no, I mean, like, Matt Albers is the most significant free agent to sign since then, I think. Like, has somebody else of any note? He's some re- show some respect to Alcides Escobar. Thank you very much. Did he sign? And I missed he did. it. I think well, I'm, he re-signed with minimum. Kansas City. Oh. It might have been, like, at the minimum. <laughs> well, <laughs> he is pretty much the replacement player, so. Well, he's yeah, a he, little bit better than that because he's a decent defender. So, okay, uh, let's move on. We have some Patreon uh, questions. Uh, first up from Jason Spitz. Um, how much do you think the club's business or bullishness, sorry, how much do you think the club's bullishness on Jimmy Nelson's full recovery is connected to the big moves they made, if at all? And by that, I'm assuming he's talking about getting Matt Albers, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's it's in exactly, reference to Albers, yes, not the fact that, Albers. yeah, they haven't haven't made the big uh, splash either for a starting pitcher in a trade or free agent signing. Say, that was like a sarcastic comment that both Steve and I looked at Ryan like, what the f- are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because uh, it was a joke. I know. That's why I said sarcastic that's comment. Joke. Uh, so I will say to answer Jason's question, I don't think it's connected to the moves at all because right now, if you were very bullish on, on Jimmy Nelson coming back, being effective and being healthy, you wouldn't necessarily have to add to the starting rotation. Right. And I don't, I don't think that the brewers are, I, I maybe naive isn't the right word, but I don't think they're so optimistic that they would overlook the fact that, Shoulder injuries are unpredictable. Jimmy Nelson getting on a throwing program, all it takes is him to feel discomfort in his shoulder once, and this gets pushed back at least a month. It's not a situation in which it's a a linear recovery uh, uh, situation. It's not something in which we are sure that he's going to get his velocity back in the same way. 
it's just like any time they talk about Tommy John recoverers, you need to look two years out to be able to see them actually get their form back. You know what I'm terrified of hearing? No. Scar oh, lot, tissue lots, breaking up. Oh, I was going to say lot, lots of things. Well, uh, no, the, the scar tissue breaking up, like that's what I'm waiting. Like he'll start throwing and then you'll hear, well, he felt a lot of discomfort in his arm, but they think it's just scar tissue breaking up because that's what you always hear with these shoulder things. It's always like somebody has shoulder yeah. surgery they feel some discomfort things and everybody's like, well, there's just scar tissue breaking up. And then it turns out to not be that. Well, well I, and it's, it's tough to, to tell too. And, and sorry, Steve, but it's tough to tell because like, again, it's supposed to be a minor shoulder injury, but I have no idea what that means. I don't think there are minor shoulder injuries for. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Well, especially like, when the reports after he went in for the surgery is they had to do more than just minor repair. Like there was significant damage. More mm. significant than they originally thought they might have uh, been looking at. Mm. Was that what it was? Yeah, it was. There okay. was a little extra that they had to... Well, right, because they up. were talking the fact that he might actually have been back to kind of begin the year. And then the fact that they actually had to go in and do a little bit more work, it pushed it back to them thinking July or August. Yeah. Shoulders so, are the devil. It just... It, why couldn't he have dove back on his left arm? Like, Because then who cares? Like, no, why couldn't he have just got thrown out, gotten thrown out at second? Because it would be one out in one game, and we'd all just go, well, it's a pitcher running the bases. <laughs> or, or, We're not going like, to Or why couldn't it, it have just been a designated hitter instead of a pitcher? Because Sure. I was yeah. going to say, is this also a galaxy brain moment in which we say, because just diving back on his shoulder actually hurt him so much that maybe his shoulder was already hurting? No, let's not get into that. So, I, you know, I think the other thing to keep in mind with, you know, uh, looking at the moves that the club's making after uh, the deals they made with the, the trade and the cane signing is I don't think anything is just focused on 2018. I mean, they have both those yeah. players for five years. Yeah, so, you're exactly mm-hmm. right. So nothing that they do, I think is a geared totally towards winning in just this season. No, they're not going to expend a ton of money to get like a 35 year old player who's just going to be good for like a year or two to help them out. They're not going to do that. And they're also not going to expend a bunch of prospects to rent a player for a season. Like that's not, even if it's a great player, they're not, that's not what the, you know, they've shown that they're, they're looking to do here. So if they're adding somebody, it's because they're adding them for an extended window of time, not just this season. So, okay. And if they, they will sign guys for short periods of time and free agency, but those will be more minor moves. Okay, Uh, let's move on to our next Patreon question from Jason Donlinger. Uh, Seems that Anderson, Davies, and Chassin are slotted in in the top three spots of the rotation at the moment. If they don't add any more starting pitching, who do you think is more likely to win the final two spots in the rotation? Woodruff, Gallardo, Suter, Guerra, Burns, someone else? For me, I think... think, Oh, go ahead. I would say for myself, I think the question there shows... Well, and and Mark Adonisio's comments from on deck last week, it shows the fact that they are going to add somebody, first of all. But that doesn't answer the question. So I, I think that Woodruff absolutely has a leg up on everybody else if the inside track to something. I would imagine if Gallardo has a quality spring, he'll get a shot to be able to look be, you know, kind of the fifth starter for two months. I think is what they would look at at that point. And then they can the the Tommy Malone type of of you know, give him an ex- give him a month, month and a half until somebody comes back from from injury. I don't think Suter. I think Suter is just well suited to the swingman role for for what the Brewers are looking at. 
I don't think Junior Guerra is somebody that they really are going to be relying on just because of his volatility in terms of his command or his control, I guess is better off to say it that way. I think there's an outside shot that Corbin Burns can pitch him can pitch his way in. The Rip, fact that they in spring training. The fact that they're sending him to uh, the the rookie camps in terms of like professionalization and how I don't even remember what it's called. The fact that they're sending him to that, the fact that they are putting him into on the on deck thing is strongly. I mean, they were they were pumping pictures of him over other guys that we've heard of. I don't know if they're necessarily doing it as a PR move because he's starting to to pop his way up of you know top hundred prospect lists and they're trying to show that they've got other guys too and it's not just. I was going to say Keith Law had him as their top ranked prospect even yeah, with. Him. Even with Brinson, absolutely, right. he in, had him twenty fourth overall. Uh, he, yeah, he loves, he loves, Br- and there are some guys, there are some scouts that just adore Corbin Burns. Uh, there are, I think, the vast majority of people see him as like a his ceiling being number three starter, which would still obviously be good. But if you you can find scouts that just think he is great, that he has he has it's it's like the Jimmy Nelson thing, right? It's like Jimmy Nelson when he was coming up that everyone was like, he's a number three, he's a number four starter. But man, you found some scouts that were even saying Jimmy Nelson had a shot to be an outside shot of being a one. Like there were some people that just loved him. If you found the right Scott, the, the right scout, it's the same way, but it's the same thing that we saw with Keon Broxton as well. It's like, if you found the scout that saw him on the right day and we've seen stretches where Keon Broxton looks like you can't get him out. Oh yeah. Like if you, if you find a scout that sees him on the right, on the right day, you can find people that just love these players. So I will say that I don't think that Keith Law is singular in his in his um, scouting opinion. Keith Law talks to a lot of people. It's not just his own scouting. Uh, he he has his own obviously trust trustworthy people in the in the industry. Uh, but there are some people that that really love Cor- Corbin Burns. So I think I think if they don't make a move, I think the money is on Woodruff and Gallardo. But I, if Burns just lights it up in spring, I could see them going with Woodruff and Burns, knowing that they have an opportunity to go with Suter if Burns, you know, struggles for the first couple and needs to go down to AAA or whatever it looks like. Would they maybe hold off on Burns a little bit just to kind of uh, preserve some innings early in the season? Like, I mean, it's spring training, and we're going to say a lot. Don't read too much into spring training stats. Oh yeah. So I mean, <laughs> I can't wait for that. You know, what would lighting it up be in spring training where you'd have to say like we can't leave this guy down. Right. Well, it would be stuff, right? It would be it would be a situation in which at the at the end of last year, I mean, his fastball was regularly hitting 96 97 miles an hour. If he comes out of the blocks and his velocity's good, his command is is just like it was last year. But I mean, Corbin Burns threw 145 innings last year. I mean, he's not in that bad of a situation to take a jump forward and to, to hit 170, 180. I mean, he's going to need to make when he gets his chances in spring training, especially as it gets a little deeper into spring training, when he gets his chances against bona fide big league hitters, he's going to have to look good against them if he's going to win that out. It's not going to be about making sure that he can, you know, strike out some guy in double A who's, you know, a year and a half away from the big leagues that's not what they're going to be looking at. They're going to be looking at how does he face big league pitcher or how does he face big league hitters and what does that look like? Well, and it's Um, not necessarily going to be something in which what is his production against them either. Right. It's, it's, is, are, are they having trouble picking up the ball on him? Is he, uh, is he deceiving them? Are they getting, is he inducing a lot of bad swings? And can he, can he sequence, can he bounce back from, you know, somebody hits uh, Somebody in the first inning hits a three-run homer off of him because he has a tough first inning. Can he bounce back? 
Right. Can he have a situation in which he can locate his his off speed stuff against righties and lefties because his you know his slider can can back up on him a little you know much like Brandon Woodruff's slider can back up on him and suddenly becomes a cement mixer like it's not going to be performance based and that's going to be the most difficult thing I think for people to kind of get their their minds around when it comes to spring training is that's not what it's going to be about I mean Corbin Burns could come out in his first two outings and throw nothing but fastballs. Like, because they want him to work on his fastball command. Because that's what thing. pitchers do in spring training. They come out and they work on things, and they they specifically, like you said, they throw nothing but fastballs. Or there's a day when they come out and they basically just throw changeups or something. Like that stuff happens. And yeah, it, how hard is it to get some of that stuff to play up in spring training when you're out in Arizona and it's just you know dry and hot like that? It's crazy hard. Right? I was going to say, mean, it's, if you're throwing a lot of breaking stuff, that's not the place to try to like break it in and show. Well, your, your that's stuff. why you see games where it's like twelve to ten. Well, yeah. Well, hey, he was working on his curveball today. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's absolutely why that I struggle with all of the stuff that comes out from the Arizona Fall League. All the scouts are at the Arizona Fall League, right? And amateur scouts, people yeah. who write for Baseball Prospectus, Keith Law's out there. Like everyone's at the AFL, so it's an opportunity if you can look good. Everybody, you know, for the baseball writing community online, it's you're going to blow up. But Monty AFL, Harrison just did that last fall. Yeah, everybody you saw him was jaw, you know, jaw dropped. Like he was, he put on a show. Yeah, I mean, that was the same thing that Jacob, even Jacob Barnes did a couple of years ago when Jacob Barnes started to throw like 96, 97 miles an hour with a high 80s, low 90s slider. And then all these people at the AFL were like, who is this guy? But it's also a situation exactly what Steve was talking about. It's a difficult place to pitch. Just like we talk about in spring training. It's not it's not like magically better once we hit October and November. So keep we do need to keep those things in mind especially for somebody like Gallardo I guarantee you we're going to hear a conversation if Gallardo doesn't look good it's going to be that he can't spin his breaking ball in Arizona um getting back to the actual question for a second um I think Woodruff is pretty much I don't want to see he's a lock for the rotation I'm going to be really surprised if Woodruff is not in the rotation. I I just like what would be the point of Woodruff doing anything else it's not like he's going to go down to triple a and get more seasoning yeah, I think that he's almost a lock for that, you know, fourth starter spot. It's the fifth spot that's the big open question. And yeah, Gallardo probably does have sort of an inside track because you don't pay a guy, you know, you don't make that contract offer unless you think there's a good chance you're going to you're going to see him. At the same time, I think that Gallardo's going to have to show something beyond what he was showing last year for them to want to have him, you know, be the guy. Because there are a number of other options. You have Guerra, you have Suter, you have Burns. Like, there are other guys that can fill that role. So I don't think it's just going to be handed to Gallardo. I think that he's going to have to demonstrate in some way that he's got something beyond what he was showing last year because last year what he had clearly wasn't working. Like, that was not a full complement of what you need to be a big league Big league starter. Real quick, uh, Gallardo, is he only going to be a starter, or do we think he has a legitimate chance to be in the bullpen? I think uh, I think he's going to battle with Suter for the swingman role. Okay. Ryan, any yeah, expectations? Yeah, that sounds right. But yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, Nick Zettel asks, after the big moves, we all know the hype. So if the Brewers make the playoffs, what's the most underrated aspect of the team that helped them contend? I mean, what do, it, it's what hard do we to like about this? Until we, oh, I we were talking about this earlier this week. We were chatting like, about, or at least you know what I would think it is. 
like what's the most underrated aspect that helped them contend in 2018 or like set them on the path to contention the last two years? I think if, if they contend this year, you know, because we, I don't think we're expecting 90 plus wins out of this team right now. Right, right, right. If it they can happen, if but. they contend, they probably won 90 or more. What do you think would be an underrated aspect of the team that maybe pushes them above those projections that we're expecting? I think it would be young pitching ended up stepping up and becoming pretty effective. I think if that's if that's what's going on, if they're winning into the 90s, it's because somebody like Woodruff, Burns, or I suppose Jimmy Nelson coming back and being well, you could even, what Jimmy Nelson was. You could even was. say Anderson and Davies you know, holding with what they did last season. But that's sure. not an underrated aspect no. of it. That would no, be like, that's like the most obvious thing that would need to happen. It'll probably be... Yeah, that yes, that will be very noticeable. If if Corbin Burns turns into a, you know, a no doubt stud. Yeah, that's not underrated. That's not nobody's going to miss that. Everybody's going to see it. JP, so. do you have something about the team that you think could maybe make them better than people expect? Yeah, this might not necessarily well, okay, so I have two answers to that specific question. I think if you, if the Brewers are better than expected, if Jonathan VR returns to what he was in 2016. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily know how luck, uh, how likely that is, but I think that if he does do that, that's a game changer for the offense. Um, but I think the most underrated aspect of the team that has helped them contend in 2017 and would in 2018, and it's not necessarily something that I think people give enough credit to, is the fact that the vast majority of people that are being relied upon to be quality role players, if not potentially impact players, are guys that just got second chances with the Brewers and the Brewers were willing to stick with them through and give them time to be able to show that they could bounce back. Right. It's your Travis Shaw's it's your, your Chase Anderson. It's your Jimmy Nelson. It's like Jonathan VR is a great example of that as well. Um, it's a lot of guys that, and even if you want to look at last year, if Eric Thames is given a chance to get 500 plate appearances again, again this year, even if it's just against righties, giving guys the opportunity to show that they can adjust, that they aren't defined by 500 plate appearances that maybe aren't necessarily as good as everybody expected, whether they fall backwards or whatnot. It's have it. And the Brewers were specifically targeting those players and they had through a rebuilding mode and through the roster space in general and expectations, they had the freedom to be able to let those guys breathe. And I think that if you look at what the team is relying upon, it's those types of players. And I think the most underrated aspect of, of this contention cycle is potentially somebody like David Stearns and, and Craig Council having a, lo- a longer view, like a wider lens to view baseball talent than one or two months. I was going to say, I think that the probably if this does end up happening, you're going to see Craig Council sort of emerge as a truly appreciated um, forward-thinking manager in the 2016 mold, doing sort of the things that you expect from a forward-thinking manager. He's willing to do a lot of different lineups. He's willing to to be flexible in his bullpen roles. He's willing to, um, you know, take players who maybe are struggling and let them have a little bit of a leash where some other managers in a contending situation might shut that down. I think that's... If we see that progress of the team, council's going to have to be a big part of it. Like that's going to have to be because they still don't have the pure star power to go up against one on one with 
some of the top teams in baseball right now because the top teams in baseball are loaded. So they're going to have to get every bit of the roster. They're going to have to leverage every bit of the roster that they can. And a lot of that comes down to counsel and his willingness to do things in a progressive, thoughtful way, which we, I think we've seen. I think we've noted already that this does seem to be Craig Council. Well, it's going to have guess, to continue. And yeah, my be question even is, more. If, that, if that happens, at what point do the Cubs start interfering to try to hire him as their new manager? <laughs> Isn't that what they I, do? The <laughs> I think that somehow the star of Joe Madden would have to crash so far. Well, if they don't win, if they don't win another World Series, I think he's going to be on the hot seat. So um, I do think one thing I'm looking for going into this season um, that can maybe push the Brewers over the, the top a little bit or at least make them more of a contender is to see what this defense is. How many runs can they prevent? Because yeah. with, with Pena, Arcia, Kane, you know, putting Yelich in left field and you know, just seeing what that run pre- prevention is, you know, we're kind of expecting some of the, those pitchers to take steps back this year. Mm-hmm. Can they kind of mitigate that a little bit you know, with the defense that they put, that, put behind them? And you know, basically try to to get a few more runs or a few more wins that way during the season. Yeah, I think that. I mean, you you've mentioned this multiple times over the past week. At least I don't know if it's publicly or just to us, <laughs> but I think that's a great. It's it it is one of the biggest things that you can do. I mean, it's like we've looked at the Colorado Rockies, or at least I have. I don't know if I should say we, but like <laughs> what the Rockies have been doing and looking at all of their relievers that they have been targeting everybody says they're paying so much they can't necessarily afford to go out and or they didn't think it was prudent to go out and sign a, a big starting pitcher and they have realized that their best avenue for run prevention was to be able to create a lockdown bullpen much like the Baltimore Orioles did when they consistently made the postseason when they weren't supposed to and not just they a, wanted like, to go out they wanted a deep bullpen like that was the, sort of the thing is but, really yeah, get a lot it, of guys and a lot of good guys, right? right? Like not a lot of guys that you wanted to say, well, yeah, they could be good, you know, like the Brewers are doing. Yeah, they, you know, you can see statistically how it might work out. Um, now they're they're going out to get you know, the more premium guys in kind of the in the free agency market. Uh, but I think that if Braun, first of all, I, I would say Braun can handle first base and is a quality defensive first baseman. The, the Brewers have an opportunity to have a really good defensive unit with Yellick, with uh, with Kane. I If it's Santana, it's a little bit worse. If it's somebody like Brett Phillips or if it's somebody like Keon Broxton, I mean, really then the only defensive situation is if you've got Jonathan Villar at second base. But if you've got Eric Sogard, it looks a little bit better. Travis Shaw maybe doesn't have the range that you want, but obviously Orlando Arcia makes up for that. So I, and this isn't the question, but like we get into the start thinking about like how everything goes. If Domingo Santana's not moved, like, sorry to bore you so much. Um, <laughs> sorry, so that was a surprise. If, uh, if, that was all if, Ryan. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm wrapped with attention. <laughs> if Domingo Santana's not moved. Where does Aaron Embarras fit? I mean, yeah, I'm not, not sure. Yeah. Um, well, okay, hold on a second. Since you mentioned Brett Phillips, uh, Steve on Twitter asks, how significant a piece is Brett Phillips, uh, given the current outfield situation, is he best suited for the fourth outfielder as trade bait? And I know talking about, you know, I bring up defense, and part of me thinks, like, Brett Phillips is the guy I want to keep 
because whether it's Domingo Santana or Ryan Braun, I feel like Phillips is going to be the guy coming in late in games to be that defensive replacement. Well, they have yeah. to keep either Broxton or Phillips, right? Like one of those guys needs to stay because yeah. somebody needs to play center field on days when Kane's not playing. So because you really don't want the other any of the other guys playing center and field. And considering Kane's injury history, right, you're going to need You don't yeah, you don't want to get rid of everybody. You need to make sure that you feel confident in somebody who can play significant innings. And Absolutely. Phillips also brings them, I think, you know, the kind of power impact bat off the bench that from the left side that they maybe don't have other than him. Well, I say um, it's a big it's a big deal that he's a lefty. It is it's a huge deal. Yeah. He, right? Because if if you've got Kane, you've got you got Braun. Obviously the 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 problem with Brett Phillips is the fact that the vast majority of at bats right now project to come against lefties when Ryan Braun would potentially move to first base. Right. Right. Because yep. that, so then you don't necessarily want Brett Phillips coming in and being the guy off the bench. Then Keon Broxton, Domingo Santana, they start to look better. Uh, Domingo Santana obviously has a defensive liability while Keon Broxton would offer a, a better glove um, depending on where you would play them. But Brett Phillips is going to be the guy that gives Lorenzo Kane a day off against a tough righty. It's He's going to be the guy that is, you know, when Ryan Braun needs a couple of days off against you know, whether it's per week or whether or not first base is his opportunity to get days off. I don't know how that's going to work, but Brett Phillips is the, is the guy you want. So I actually think that, and I know that everybody keeps saying this, Domingo Santana is the guy who makes sense to move. He does. It's not, it's not Brett Phillips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that's yes. We can move on. Okay. <laughs> I was just making sure that you were wrapping it up. You seem to have like something no, else you I, want to say. Okay. I don't. Okay. Um, He's too busy yawning. Jacob Weber asks, outside of the obvious with Archer, Salazar, Stroman, uh, who are some of the guys uh, we should watch in spring training that you'd like to see the Brewers acquire before? He says before the deadline. I'm assuming that means before the start of the season. No, I think he means the trade deadline. So before who I I would like us to see? Or or who I would like to see us acquire? Yeah, who just like who, who would be likely? Who would you like to see the Brewers acquire? I and I mean, Kevin, you know, try to come up with somebody who's like a legitimate piece, you know, not just wild fantasy. Don't do it, Breen. Don't do it, Ke- Kevin Gossman. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and you're only saying that because I said it like two months ago. Um, no, don't it even. Came try up, to well, you came up this week again in that in the G chat conversation we were having, where I was like, I, I, I like Kevin Gossman. Like you were saying it, you would like you were comparing him to Trevor Bauer and whatever. But I was like, no, well. I was not. I like Gaussman a lot. Power. I was tra- I was comparing him to Danny Salazar in terms of not having a uh, a breaking ball. Oh yes, it was a it was a more specific comparison. But I started looking at Gaussman again closely because of that. That's why. Ah. Anyway, continue. But, but JP would, JP has been a Gaussman fan for a while, and you've won. I've been a Gaussman fan for like four years. So it's just I have Gaussman was such a great arm for so long and the Orioles I they orioled swear. him well I, I could swear on this I don't know why I stopped I've stopped like I've stopped myself like three times already well we don't put an explicit tag on this so we try not to change well, that so try not to go crazy well so I've been a good person uh it's the the Orioles have like ruined him I mean if you want to say like who I would like like who I think is is realistic 
that becomes more of a, a difficult situation. I don't think the Orioles are going to move anyone because the Orioles, much like the Mets, need to sit around and pretend like they're going to compete because they're so worried about because they've got ownership that doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Do they have a come to Jesus moment this year when they fall out of it and are like 20 games behind the Red Sox and 30 games behind the Yankees? And they're Maybe. like, and we're going to lose Machado tri- and like, I mean, they might, the but then they now. sit around and like complain that nobody wants to give up much for Adam Jones. They I mean, won't actually yes. trade anything that anyone wants is what it's going to be. Peter Angelos is the worst. Uh, well, sure. the Mets, the Mets ownership sure, certainly give him a run they for his money. Run. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are both like it, they're kind of similar situations in that both the Mets and the Orioles have good GMs. Like they're guys who've proven that they like know what they're doing and they were on the leading edge of some of the progressive thought that was going on. And like they're more than capable. They have their skills and they know what they're doing, but they're just so hamstrung by ownership that I guess it's a good moment to be like, well, I'm very glad that our ownership situation is not terrible like that. Yeah, I mean, I somebody's been mentioning it all, all all winter, and I can't remember who it is, so I'll apologize. But like people have been saying, like Mike Illich with Detroit, like we miss those types of owners, like the ones that just were like, yeah, you know what? I want a World Series. I'm going to spend to make it happen. Yeah, like, he was always what, going what, for it. Yeah, like that's what this offseason, and it's in the context of this offseason in terms of like wanting ownership that is not necessarily worried about the bottom line and prudent deals and just wanting to go and buy it. I mean, Mike Illich was spending money his children were going to have to actually, you know, fork over. Though Illich also also owned some teams that lost hundreds of games in a season. Absolutely. Um, Uh, Did he, when did, I'm not sure exactly when he bought the team, but I mean, 2003, they were terrible. mm -hmm. That's when they were like the running joke. But I don't know. I, did to, he own them at I was that point? Say, I like know so many of the the Pirates pitchers when they were like terrible. I mean, they had uh, Pirates oh, or Tigers. Um, no, the Tigers. They had uh, Jeremy Bonderman, and he oh, was yeah. like really good. But then he ended Mike up like Maroth. Mike Maroth was there. Um, oh yeah. Uh, what was his name? The the lefty Robertson. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Oh, those teams like it's like it's it gets back in it. You know, it does actually go kind of with the the Pirates as well, because they had, uh, you know, they had Zach Duke. They had. um, Remember what a miracle it was. 2006 was like a miracle when everybody was like going nuts in Detroit because they just thought that they were going to be crap forever. And they had a very good history. I mean, the Tigers have been, you know, competitive off and on throughout their entire history. A very proud history and like. They had just fallen into such disrepair in the 90s, and they ended up being, they hit their, you know, their low point in 2003, but, and then they they sent Maglio Ordonez, right? Much as we need this to be a 2006 Tigers uh, podcast, Nate Robertson, (laughs) so I was There we go, Robertson, yeah. Zach Miner, he was, so I once saw Zach Miner throw an absolute gem at Miller Park, and he was awful. I mean, as awful as like a legitimate big league pitcher can be, but um, that's like my is my dad. My dad and I went to to Miller Park, and we were like, we're gonna go see the Tigers um, because the Tigers weren't any good. And we we're like, this was a great opportunity to like go and see the Brewers hopefully win. <laughs> and Zach Miner just threw an absolute gem, and it was it was brutal. Um, okay, uh, just JP. This is just JP, not not JP Breen. Just JP on Twitter asks, uh, not a lot to talk about Jesus Aguilar in previous episodes. What do you think the team uh, plans are for him this season? 
Oh, I thought this question was just for me, not No, it is from somebody. just JP. He didn't Got he didn't it. want people to to mix the two of you up, so. That's fine. Uh Ryan, do you want to go cuz I actually have some some thoughts here, but I just talked about Zach Miner for too long, so. Um I mean, it seems like he's potentially on his way out. Like, there might not be room for him on the roster this year, depending on what they decide to do with Ryan Braun. If Ryan Braun is going to start taking a significant number of reps at first base, um, what does Jesus Aguilar really do for them? There's not much. I mean, he's the right-handed hitting power first baseman. Doesn't offer much in the way of defensive value. Doesn't offer any other positional flexibility. So outside of being able to DH, you know, what, eight or nine times, however many games they play in uh, American League parks this year. If Ryan Braun is going to be the first baseman uh, against right-handers, or I'm sorry, against left-handed pitching, then he's sort of the odd man out. And then you wonder, like, if that comes to fruition, what do they do with him? Do they end up trading him? Do they have to just drop him because a market may not emerge from well his usage know. is dependent on what they do with santana yeah well there's absolutely that. Yeah. it's it, it is strongly tied to that too so yeah. but it's it really is he if ryan braun is i would going say to, it's completely tied to that because if Santana's not on the team then i think aguilar stays as the other side of the platoon if santana's there you would think yeah if santana's there i think ryan braun to first base becomes something that they almost feel like they need to make happen so they get enough well, at-bats for everybody and in that's that outfield. Going, and that's all going to be dependent. I don't know, I don't know if that's that. dependent on Santana so much as it's dependent on how Ryan Braun actually does at first base. We can't take for granted yeah. that he's actually going to look competent over there. Sure. Yeah. Well, but if, so, if Braun can't move to first base, I mean, what are you doing with Santana? You're not going to get enough at-bats for him, are you? No, but that's why it depends on Ryan Braun. It doesn't depend on Santana. Right. That's no, what I'm I, saying. I was saying... Aguilar's usage dependent on Santana. And yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And if Santana's I, on the team, I think it pushes Braun to first base a little bit more forcefully than just, you know, like, oh, he's a great glove and we want to use him there. Then all of a sudden it's kind of like, well, we need to juggle stuff around to make some space. Braun has to show I he think, can do it. I think that uh, Jesus Aguilar could potentially follow the illustrious path of people like uh, Dan Vogelbach. Mike uh, Mike Ford so maybe sounds right. This to, is your uh, story, to, so go with it. To, see, to Seattle, where is this cause, going? Because goodness, does Seattle love themselves a defensive li- a defensive liability who can play DH or first base for some right-handed power? You know, so, we haven't made a deal with Jerry Depoto. Like the Brewers Jerry, have not. Jerry Depoto's traded with everybody. Well, some teams Jerry like, Depoto probably has times. like he probably has a huge list on his wall, and he's like, oh, I just haven't gotten the Brewers to do it yet. Yeah, no, I yeah, we need to have that happen. We need Jerry Depoto to make a move where he trades with the Brewers because that's that's inevitable. Well, I guess is Aguilar a guy that we want to see them hang on to, or do you have any you know feelings towards him in any way? <laughs> uh, I I like him. I would like to point out it's not Mike Ford that I was thinking of, uh, unless he signed a minor league deal. But uh, Mike Ford hit. 20 bombs last year. I don't think any, I don't think anybody was checking you on this, so I wouldn't worry too much. Didn't they I'm just add my, Ryan Healy myself. for their like pseudo Aguilar role anyway? Yeah, that's yeah. a fair point. They I, they just did that. So, well, Mike Ford did later. sign did sign a minor league deal with the with Seattle Mariners. So, 
everyone. Um, <laughs> so he, I mean, a, he was waiting. Sorry, hey there. You know, sorry, you can. You Steve's going to jot it down. He's going to delete it. Yeah, no, you can get rid of that. You got to give one of those um, really funny sound effects, the woo, like the slide <laughs> no, whistle. So I, so I do like uh, Jesus Aguilar. I think that he's a quality hitter. I just don't necessarily think he has a space on. If, if Ryan Braun can offer him offer something at first base, I don't think that with how many players that they need to accommodate and how many that they could have i don't think that jesus aguilar has a spot i don't think it's because he's not a quality hitter i think he was able to show it last year um i just think that he needs a space to be able to actually play more often and it just might not be milwaukee and that's okay i mean if we had a dh spot in the national league like we should that would be fantastic like that would be perfect he would fit right into that rotation and you would go okay perfect he can play some first base he can you know dh well, they, we wouldn't feel like Santana's the, the guy that needs to get traded if there was a DH. Yeah, that's true, too. So, well, Ryan Braun would be DHing most days. I have a feeling like that would, just to keep him healthy, like that would be a thing that would be done. Sure, but, and he's not like fantastic in right field. Right. Yes. Well, yeah, and are we assuming is that, that isn't a question that we have, but are we assuming that Christian Yelich is going to play left field and that Ryan Braun's moving back to right again? His, I am, his, yes, but we're just guessing until, you know, they start playing games in spring. Because Yelich doesn't really have, like, a big arm. No, he doesn't, but Braun is significantly better in left than he is in right. That has been borne out over several years now. That's, I don't think that that's necessarily true. Really? I mean, you I, there. It's the same reason that why, why you'll see people like Aaron Amperes just be unbelievable defensively in the metrics in left field because left field metrics haven't really caught up to the fact that I just don't think that there's as much of pressure on on arm statistics. Uh, there's not necessarily as high of a bar in terms of like because it's uh, defensive metrics are always on like the the defensive spectrum in terms of you know how difficult the position is and left field is always put down um, further down the spectrum. So when it's like it's like why Brett uh, why Brett Gardner is like one of the best defensive left fielders ever, and then when he goes to right field, he's like fine. And it's not because he's like worse. It's just because the metrics love it when you can actually have some range in left field because they were used to the Pat Burles of the world being out there. Sure. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, I think we'll wrap it up this week. And uh, JP, did you want to take over for the uh, Patreon? Thank yous here. Oh yeah, we wanted to th- we wanted to thank some folks. Um, so obviously, people who were able to ask some questions, uh, we thank everybody that we were going through in that regard. We'll thank everybody again once we get a chance to do the minor league podcast for people that are sending in questions that way. But we wanted to to say a specific shout out to Seth Victor, Jeremy Reese, Jacob Weber. Um, thanks to everybody for giving us a good kind of head start on the on the Patreon. Hopefully, we're going to be able to add some more incentives. Um, we're, we're talking about some potential get-togethers that we can do in the summer. Uh, we're trying to put it in a situation in which not only can you give an, not only do you have an opportunity to show that you value what we do on the podcast, um, but it's hopefully an opportunity that we can express our thank you um, in different ways as well. So thanks, thanks to Seth, Jeremy, Jacob, we appreciate it, uh, and we'll we'll continue to give shoutouts to people as they keep going. So if you have an opportunity to just, you know, buy us a coffee once a month or whatever at the two dollar level. 
we appreciate it. Anything helps us kind of get back what we're what we're doing for hosting the podcast for the equipment, things like that. Yeah, and again, those are just the first three. We'll we'll definitely uh, thank people at the end of every podcast from here on out. Uh, that donate so um, you can join our patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mke tailgate patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast once per month um, and as always follow us on twitter at mke tailgate you can also submit questions to milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or through fi- or through our facebook page for milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast and did we mention that the plan was to record that on Wednesday? I feel like we maybe didn't mention that. I don't think I, we did, but yeah. You guys are going to record your first minor league podcast on Wednesday, so look for that later this week. Thursday. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it'll generally come out. We'll try to get out the first uh, week of the month. Yeah, first week to 10 days of the month, we'll get it out. Yep. Way to build that. That's very lawyerly to give yourself a little <laughs> bit more more space in there like somebody's gonna come come knocking on your door since hey where's that minor league podcast i like being honest so yeah well generally it'll be that first week so uh anyways uh don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on itunes soundcloud and stitcher and we're in the google play store and you can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast so thanks for listening and look for us again next week on milwaukee's tailgate